CF here. Today's episode, we're talking about operations in the brewery. Adam is currently on the hunt for a director of operations. Oof, what a big hire. And how that role fits into the team dynamic. Then Adam gives us a play-by-play on the hiring process at Rubens Brews. Man, people got to jump through hoops to get a job at this place. And I love it. Then we bring in our guest, Aaron Simoncini, founder of Brewed Beer out of Stonington, Connecticut. Beard recently opened their second location. And we talk about the operation process of running two locations. Today's topic is super relevant as more breweries look to expand. All right, let's do it. They, they might come for the beer, but then they, they stay for the food. Both of us were like, I'm going to own a brewery someday, starting at like 18 years old. There's no time in my life that I didn't think, oh, this would be a good time for a beer. Nice. What's going on, Adam? Well, this and that—it's uh, going to get hot in Seattle this this week. So, um, yeah, we're not used to that. So, <laughs> didn't it get hot a few like a few weeks ago as well? It got super hot. It was like record temperatures. Um, yeah, um, a few weeks ago it was like over a hundred. Um, but like right now, like this weekend, we're going to get into the nineties. I think. Yeah, which. For hundred-year-old houses without air conditioning, <laughs> not- how do you guys do that, dude? No AC for real? Yeah, yeah, we we, we don't. Um, I guess you go to the brewery that you put AC in. <laughs> does it cool down at night at least? So when you're sleeping? Yeah, it does go down and then it goes up. And then, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't remember. But Florida stays pretty hot, doesn't it? In the in the uh, in night. Yeah, oh yeah, it's a swamp. Yeah. It's it's a yeah. muggy. It's a muggy. I walk. I take the dog out before I go to bed, and it's like an oven. Oh wow, wow! It, but I say it's not like Las Vegas oven. It's like muggy. Yeah, yeah. Well, talk, talking about the dog, I I uh, took my dog out this morning, and uh, he, he's now snoring quite heavily behind <laughs> us. <laughs> you may hear that. <laughs> I heard I heard it a little bit before we started recording. It's pretty funny. <laughs> We have a neighbor that has a, a English bulldog, and that thing roars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It chops wood at night. I mean, it's like <laughs> through the walls. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So, are you uh, CBC's coming up in about a month? Are you going to be visiting? Are you going to be attending? Yeah, I did. My, I am. Um, I'm presenting actually on. Um, uh, yeah, on, on like how to define and communicate your brewery's why. Okay. What your purpose is and how to kind of stand out from the pack a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah, so that'd be fun. I just finished that draft yesterday and sent that off. And so it'd be nice to like lock down the uh, presentation and I can worry about what I got to say. Is it a panel or are you solo? Just a uh, solo. Yeah. Cool. And what day and time is that? session oh i should know that shouldn't i it's um it's sunday sunday morning so well, well yeah as... there's only a couple sessions sunday morning so yeah yeah so you know if people aren't too hung over <laughs> I, I i wonder how quickly uh, people's attendance falls throughout the cbc you know yeah occupancy rates drop <laughs> in the past have you attended that gea party that they throw every year I, yeah, the last time I did it, it was on like a boat on a on a river. Yeah, it was kind of cool. That was Those a, things are wild. Yeah, yeah. There was cigars around and stuff, and I, I don't smoke, so it's like, yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah, why oh. are you going this year? Yeah, I will be in attendance, yes. Okay. Yeah. I will. I am attending. I'm actually two other members, team members are coming with, with me. Derek and Julia are going to be joining me at CBC. So it's nice. It's going to be nice to have a cohort. If you will, uh, this will be my first time instead of running around kind of solo, but I've always attended the CBC as a participant, as a attendee, just walking the floor, meeting people, going into sessions. And it's, I've thought about getting a booth. I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's never, I don't know. 
I'm, we're not there yet. Yeah, yeah. That seems very formal, right? The booth thing. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Um, maybe you know. I don't know if you could do a a drinks meetup at some point for people and send it out to your distribution list or something. Yeah, I, I was thinking about doing that. I mean, the more people I talk to and ask who's going, it, there's actually a lot that I know, uh, whether the customers or colleagues or friends. So yeah. I am definitely going to uh, plan something. I just don't know what's going to happen with the virus by then or like what people are going to be comfortable with, not comfortable with, but yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. Yep. Cool. So today I just want to briefly talk about operations, you know, from where I sit, uh, the operations typically include sales, finance, accounting, uh, mostly the back office stuff, which is what I'm most comfortable talking about. But, in reality, the operation should sit with the guy who makes the beer. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you view the operations of the brewery? Um, it's kind of quite timely because we're actually um, interviewing for a director of operations right now. <laughs> cool. Um, that is uh, technically, if for those of you who know EOS, that's an integrator role. That's our definition of what an integrator role is. So, um, in yeah, in terms of operations, like that role will cover the whole gamut of everything internally. And then mm -hmm. myself as a visionary will be looking, again, using EOS terminology, be looking forward, big picture, big relationships, you know. Um, yeah, so in, in terms of oper operations, maybe... Maybe it'll help if we sort of explain how we define our team. So in our sort of leadership team, we have uh, finance, we have sales, we have um, at brewery ops, and then uh, retail ops. So mm -hmm. operations for us um, internally is really retail operations and production operations. That's kind of how we've separated it. Um and then you have uh, marketing as well, which helps support both. So marketing, it don't, I don't think it makes sense that it sits in one or the other of those uh, like sales or retail ops because uh, it's supporting both sort of uh, channels. Sure. You know, all, all channels. So that's, that's kind of how we arrange things. And talk to me a little bit more about the, the production, the production operations in the regard of is, is is one person running the whole show or is it more of a, a a lateral because what i what i typically see is a brewmaster head brewer and alongside that brewmaster head brewer sits the QAQC or lab guy and then below the brewmaster comes your head brewer your shift brewers, seller team, packaging team. Do you guys view it that way or how do you yeah. set up that? So, so we've been spending a lot of time on, on this, this specific topic this year, right? Like mm -hmm. building out, building out our team. So, you know, um, last year we grew 15%, but the three years before that was a 50% growth rate every year. And um, what you find is that you're always, you know, trying to catch up, running to stand still to some extent. So we spent a lot of time this year just defining, okay, how do we want this organization to be structured? You know, what people do we need? Um, what level of management do we need in that team? So we have a, I think uh, the the role is going to be called like brewery operations manager. And he's been with us since 2017 and he runs the, the brewery ops, right? But then in his team, there's uh, going to be a head brewer, which is a role that will be, um, we've just hired somebody who'll be starting ne uh, next month mm -hmm. um, that is responsible for like all production batches. There's a um, packaging manager. So the head brewer looks after the wort and seller and there's a packaging manager that looks after the packaging piece, you know, canning line um, and, and kegging. And then there's a logistics manager who uh, looks after scheduling raw materials um that we found that an ecos so our you know systems side of things mm -hmm. and then we have a lab manager 
as well. And and uh, so she runs QA over the whole the whole the whole operation. Um, and then the the only other thing that we're kind of working on is is um, how to fit. That is really well set for production brewing, but what about the other 160 beers we brew every year? You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we um, we've been spending quite a lot of time, and we're in the middle of that now, like trying to define how how do we not lose sight of breadth of beers, rather than when things get tough, we all you know focus down on making sure that the distribution uh, beers uh, are in in enough inventory. How do we make sure that we get keep keep that breadth? Uh, top of mind and in focus like all, all the time so that's some things that we're, we're working on right now to figure out the uh, organizational solution for that do your brewers do you have brewers that just do the variety and other brewers that just do the core yeah are they independent or do they do they overlap yeah so so with us um can't remember if we've talked about this before but we have three different brew houses right mm-hmm. so we have one a five barrel a 15 and a 30 now they can all do bigger batches so like what we actually the smallest batch we can brew is a four barrel and then the biggest single batch is a 44 and we obviously do multiple turns into tanks but you know it's quite a range and um so in terms of who can brew on which system there's maybe three people that can brew on each system but of those three there's probably one that does it regularly um so, you know, uh, we've, that's another thing we're talking about, like utility players, right? You know, like how many utility players do we have that can play in um, brewing each, each brewery? Um, and we need to try and build that up as well to give some, you know, job, job enrichment and uh, some yeah. cover and, and things. But what new brewers that we bring in tend to focus on the production brewery and then they'll, they'll start working on the other ones over time. That's kind of where we've been in the last couple of years. Yeah. It was my understanding that early on 2012 to 2016, that brewers would move from one brewery to another to experience the variety. They, and they were at one brewery where it grew very fast during that time and were pigeonholed in the demand of the core products and really didn't get to flex their, their brewing muscles. So they would go to a smaller outfit to try to, to, to get that, that variety up and, and really creativity, right? It's a matter of balancing. And you said work enrichment, creativity. I think we're on the same, same page there. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is the hardest part about the running the brewery operations? Oh, um, that's a hard one because running a brewery, the hard, hard, the hard, you know, the hard part is kind of keeping a focus, honestly. Um, there is so much stuff that comes at you and most of it isn't, um, uh, um, isn't going to forward the business in any way. It's like, uh, um, but as a as a founder, I've used this analogy before, right? But um, as a founder, you start off doing everything, and then as you grow, certain roles become big enough that you can go hire somebody to do, right? And then you do that over time, and then as the founder, you get ended up with like this rump of stuff that doesn't really doesn't have any cohesive like need or or purpose. It's like I don't know um, uh, legal stuff you know, accounting, uh, like, like, uh, LCB, you know, the, the, uh, 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 sort of filings and, and permits and, and architects and stuff, all, all of this stuff, none of that's to do with the beer, right? None of that's to mm-hmm. do with the consumer and what they kind of want at the end of the day. And, um, so the hardest, one of the hardest points is when you, when you grow is keeping that focus, that focus on, Kind of what you're there for, right? And yeah. and focus on not just on today, but on tomorrow, because you blink, tomorrow's here. And if you haven't thought about it beforehand, then then uh, it's going to pass you by. So that's that's kind of um, that's kind of more like general. Um, in terms of the the brewery operations, I I think you know 
you're asking me, it's all about time and place, right? What's the hardest part? But we spent a lot of time on organizational structure. Mm-hmm. And in the last, <clears throat> in the last, well, this year in particular, and, and we're not quite there. We're not quite finished with it yet, but I'm hoping by the, well, by the middle of September, we should have everything locked down in terms of this has come out or structure. We might not, elements may be for hiring tomorrow rather than today, but um, I think we'll have a strong point there. So we spent a lot of time um, thinking about roles, responsibilities, and and ensuring the handovers between teams are right. Um, again, none of this is to do with the beer, right? Or, right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but w- without this all being right, you can't really focus on the, on the future, you know? Yeah. I think what you're describing is just the progression of an owner. The owner starts and it's either viewed as a business or it's viewed as a passion project and they want to get everything right. The perfectionist syndrome gets in and they, they, they really control everything and it grows to something way bigger than them. And yeah. at that point you're staring at, I used to say when a, every day when you walk into your brewery, you're staring at 10 pinatas, right? Some pinatas are in swinging range. Other pinatas are way out of reach. And I was basically talking about opportunities and smash the pinatas that are in your face, right? Smash the pinatas that, that matter, that are, that are attainable. Because if you'll remember back in the day, brewery owners were rock stars, right? They were on the morning news. They were on Jimmy Kimmel. They were, they were the new, the new bad boys in town. And that just opened up so much opportunity in addition to everything that they had to do to run the business. So same, same thing that I go through, you know, I'm, I'm constantly staring at seven, eight, 10 pinatas. And I'm like, what am I going to go smash this week? What's, 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 cause I have a, a ton of opportunities just like any business owner does. And it's, it can get exhausting. What's the um, EOS um, analogy? Um, it's about having a glass and, and you've got the stones and, and the sand. and The rocks. The rocks and the sand. And you want to put the rocks in first, then the sand, right? So, um, what, in, what ends up happening is that you end up spending all your time and, and never getting to those things that really move the business forward. Right. right. It's, it's so true. And, um, you know, you really do need to focus on, on, you know, progressing those big things um, because otherwise uh, you would have lost your chance, but you'd have been busy. You'd have been busy doing all this other stuff. Right. Um, I don't, I, I'm sure I have loads of examples, but it's in one ear and out the other right now. But, uh, you know, just <laughs> in terms of like today, like so many different like emails and uh, I was, I did a, two interviews and then I had a whole page of emails like came up after two two interviews it's like really well <laughs> how do i uh how do i it's it's really hard to kind of keep yourself focused you know in every job in every job yeah yeah so, absolutely but walk us through since you said interviews walk us through the interview process at rubens just that how many interviews will someone go through and where do you sit in that Oh, that's a good question. So we're talking about brewery ops. Let's just say somebody who's going to come in, maybe uh, uh, in the packaging line, right? That's mm-hmm. a that's something tangible. And and yeah, this um, this may uh, sound a little a little extreme to some people, but what um, what we traditionally do, um, and uh, it, you know, this is this is our kind of kind of plan is um, obviously we'll put the job description out and we tend to put them it um, we're looking at other sites to to increase the reach of of the job um, application pool um, so we're looking at uh, sites that can increase diversity of the pool of applicants right now and so we've been uh, posting on various different sites but we get uh, we get the applications in um, the, the the hiring manager will review, um, and then they'll do an initial interview. Right. So, right now that's been on Zoom in the last year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, then, if the successful applicants from that stage will come in and do an on-the-job interview, so they'll get they'll get paid to work on the line, for example, but um, for like three hours, something like that. 
And what we're what we're doing there to see is like, do they like the work? Do they engage well with the rest of the team? Um, and then if they're successful there, then they get invited back for what we call cultural interview, um, which is where they'll sit down with a number of their their um, teammates when they when they join, right, and um, make sure that that there's a cultural fit. So we have our values um, defined, and really that's a conversation between the team. So then they're part of the hiring process as well, uh, looking at value alignment. Um, and then the final one is that Grace or I, uh, or Grace and I, um, uh, want to interview everybody who joins the team. Still. Yep. So you get through that, and then you sit with Grace and I. Um, so that's a four. That's four interviews mm-hmm. for one of our entry roles. You know, um, so that's 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 kind of what's worked for us. Um, we really want to put in the time up front because getting the right people on board is so important. Um, sure. It's, you can't overstate that. And then we're, we're hiring, on, on, on the other hand, for a director of operations right now. So, uh, and that we've, we've actually, that's even more complicated. No, that's, <laughs> um, we're using a firm to help us on this, this process, right? So um, they posted on a number of, job boards and we well first of all they helped us come up with a job description in a number of like working sessions with the team and not just myself and grace who the role work report to but the people who report to that role so we get input from everybody um around around the role uh they've then posted that they've received hundreds of applications and then they filter through yeah they filter through based on the responsibility the, the requirements that we had defined right and then uh then we were still gonna get 20 or 30 applicants so we have an hr um consultant that we use on on a, on a number of things and we asked her to do the first screen and and she filtered it down from there and then grace and i interviewed a number of people and we filtered it down from there and then um then this third party does some uh i don't even know kind of what what to call them like kind of tests on how assessments assessments yeah yeah but like how, how you work how you think and then they, i've actually gone through it as well it was like an iq test it was kind of strange and um and then they'll compare the two to see how we fit. Right. right? So, um, uh, and they'll also then do a competencies-based interview on the people as well. And then after all of that, we, well, that, that's the process we're in right now. We've got the people recommended for that part of the process. And then and then they come back and I think they'll, they'll say who they recommend, like one, two, three. Um, and then, then the last piece will be um, and into the cultural interview so that rest the management team will interview and then Grace and I will do a final final deep dive. <laughs> Dude, it sounds like you're trying to hire a Cheryl Sandberg Sandberg here. <laughs> <laughs> well th- this one is this role is so important. It's like looking after your baby, right? Right. So it's kind of like interviewing for an au pair or something, you know. <laughs> right. With yeah. the with the four-step process, have you have you felt like you've lost any candidates, any good candidates because of the 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 arduous steps, if you will, that they need to go through? Well, I, I, I don't I think I think the I think if you lose people because they don't want to go through all these steps and they're not the right people. Right. Um, but what I would say is that you do need to be so focused on on turning each uh, each each part of the process. So like you don't have a week between each because otherwise somebody's out there looking and you might lose them to another opportunity just through yep. time. Um, so yeah, having, having those stages and where, where possible, we do try and like uh, merge a couple of the stages. Like honestly, Grace and my, my interview is the highest priority, right? So like when we get the go ahead, we try and do it the next day or the day after, right? That, it, it can't be waiting on us. Right. And that's why I said, ideally, it's me and Grace, but if Grace or I aren't around, then we'll, one of us will do it, right, rather than hold it up. Yeah. We're in the process of hiring two people right now, and I had been gone for two weeks, and I think we let two of our top people, but because of that, that lag time. 
I think that was the very important. And I thought long and hard about what you said. Well, they didn't want to wait. It's a cultural fit, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, having someone wait two weeks for the technical and competency interview with me. So our process is uh, Tom will have the first interview for just first touch. Well, let me let me take that back. <clears throat> our first step is we'll post a job and we have a very lengthy intake. Asks lots of questions, asks compensation requirements, asks scenario-based questions. And if they pass that, then they go to Tom for an initial interview. Touchy-feely. If they pass that, then they come to me for a technical interview. And that technical interview is literally asking debit and credit questions. Then I get into some hit work history and and just I'm trying what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to feel out if the individual is number one a cultural fit and number two has the debits and credits. Yeah. Right. And then if I give Tom the green light, it goes back to him for a hey, here's our values, here's our vision, here's our org chart, accountability chart, et cetera, et cetera. And then we ask them if they, we, we give them an offer and they say yes or no. And then from there, but where I was going with that is, is I really believe that two week time frame that I was out uh, did hinder one, one potential good candidate. Uh, but, you know, we'll find another person. It's not, it's not dire. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't saying that waiting, then they're not, if they don't want to wait two weeks, they're not the right person. I was saying like, if they don't like the process, they're not the right person. But like right. out of with this process is to turn it quickly. And in this case, you couldn't do it. So it's, yeah, there's, you know, that's, that's a shame, but that's yeah, where it works. Uh, but I, I believe turning quickly is never been more important than now where the job market is just nearly impossible. Yes. yes. To to find uh, qualified help. That is the number one complaint that I hear from every person I speak to. It's, it's, um, yep. Finding people like that. I had one question. This is way back. We were talking about ecos in your, in your brew house. Does one person manage your, the ecos or are different people in the brew, the brewing production team touching it? Oh, we have um, multiple people touching it, um, mm-hmm. but but uh, I can't remember the the phrase that we use. But like one person has like the ultimate responsibility uh, from a production perspective. Obviously, sales are in there as well, and all of the like retail ops is in there for inventory, right? But um, but you know, there's you know people from the warehouse in Ecos. There's the production team in the uh, the production. The packaging team in ECOS, there's the brews going in as well, right? So there's one person who's kind of responsible to make sure that all happens, you know, the quarterback almost. Yep. Very good. Yeah. Standard operating procedures. Do y'all believe in SOPs in the brew house? You know, my, my background, right? So, yeah. you know, I work in finance, right? <laughs> I, 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 um, uh interesting you know i i put in place a number of sops at you know massive companies so when we started so when we when 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 we're going to go down this crazy path i uh i uh, thought about it i thought um okay so what can i scale from my homebrew setup uh to the five barrel system that we were getting and what do i not know so like what, what uh i was trying to trying to think about what I didn't know, know what you don't know, right? right. Um, and uh, lucky for some, there were 13 processes that I couldn't directly scale or I needed to like research. So I actually hired a consultant to write those 13 SOPs. So from the start, we had SOPs on everything. And um, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I feel kind of strongly that, that you need SOPs, you know, um, well, and you need it for OSHA compliance. You need it right. for um, FDA compliance. So, well, you you've mentioned the story before, and I haven't dug into it. 
the 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 SOPs was it a, a, a someone with a strong brewing background with uh, that wrote these or who who did you how did you find this person? Good question. Um, I can't remember. I, I found them. Um, it must have been. I think it was recommended from somebody on one of the uh, the forums. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were the ex head brewer of of a big brewery in California, and then they set up a brewery in Eastern Washington. So, um, somebody with a lot of experience, um, yes. and and just like helped us write these SOPs that I wasn't, you know, I just just needed a little bit of help to make sure that we nailed those first batches, right? I didn't want to sure. be learning on the fly. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it, it helped out. Now, I wonder, those were documented, right? And you must have taught them or shared them with other people. Have the team members built on those SOPs or is it more of a verbal knowledge transfer? Yeah, they're, they're fundamentally changed now. So yep. James, our brewery operations manager, he's been, he's, he's taken them. And, and those were from our small brewery. And even some of those we had changed within the first two months. Right? Yep. So like our dry hopping SOP was has been changed multiple times, but it's been about the same for the last five years now, just in, in, in general principle. But uh, yeah, um, sure. yeah the, initial, the initial SOP uh, was not, was was not a winner. <laughs> yep. Adam, what's your dog's name? Yeah. Um, uh, barnacles. Barnacles. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid if we take this episode too much longer, we're gonna we're gonna wake barnacles up. I can hear him just chopping wood back there. <laughs> he's just yeah. roaring. Yeah, he's kind of uh, kind of crazy. Um, I took him to the. I took him to the coffee shop earlier today and um, they give him treats and he goes crazy from a block away. He just starts going at it. But like a French bulldog, they can hardly breathe at the best of the times. And he's just like, just so struggling to get there for his treat. Yeah, and I don't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, my treats don't get any of this reaction. So like, I don't, I don't know what is in these things, but whatever it is, it's a winner. <laughs> How old is he? He's one. So he's a puppy. Oh, he's young. Yeah. Yeah. One. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, we we got a we got a COVID puppy. And yeah. he's eight months old. We had our first puppy training last night at the house. Oh, oh wow. And you know, we're going through the the dog's not destroying things. And the, the trainer was actually like, This is the calmest eight-month-old puppy I've ever seen in my life. Like, because I was I was in charge of filling out the initial intake, and buddy, I lit him up. I lit him up. I'm like bites children, aggressively jumps on humans. <laughs> she came in and the, he walked up and like was wagging his tail and looking at her. And he's like, "What?" Well, she's like, "I expected him to jump on me and nip at me and and lunge at me." And I was like, "Well, I didn't know that he had swam for two hours earlier in our pool." Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. That's the so. <laughs> So she gave us some good tips and we're, we're still, uh, we, we still have a lot of work to do, but he is uh, a good dog. I, I don't know. You don't know this, but I'll tell you that I was, I, I was petrified, like piss petrified of dogs up until the age of like 24. I remember you saying that. Was that, did you ever, did you ever run in with a dog at one point? Or? We, a dog ran into our house when I was probably four. And my mom is still pissed petrified of dogs. So oh, the dog ran in, she screamed, we screamed. And from that day, we were terrified until a 130 pound German shepherd moved in with us in college, <laughs> a good friend of ours. And then I learned to love dogs and we, we haven't had a dog ever since, but I've, I've had, I've had a couple dogs since, and then we had a break and now we have a puppy. I, I, um, so I had a, I had a, um, cat when I was 10, a friend's cat bit through my finger and was just dangling on my finger. Right. So it just, yeah, just for something, I just went to pet its back and it looked up and just bit me straight through my finger. I never forget it. Like I can still see it now. And, um, the dog, the, uh, the cat's name was brains just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, hopefully that doesn't mean anything. Right? But, um, and, uh, yeah, so we've always had dogs and cats 
petrified me because I can read a dog. I can see if a dog's happy or not yeah. or doesn't like me. But cats, after that day, I've got no idea what they're thinking. I still, I don't know. Um, but the boys, our, our two kids, they wanted they wanted cats. So we have two cats now as well. And uh, But the, the, the cats are, are nice, actually. They're getting me um, more more used to them. But um, yeah. yeah Do, so d- does barnacles and the, and the cats get along? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the Barney he expects a good a good game is uh, coming up and biting you. You know, like yep. like that's just what he wants to do. But the cats are like, "What are you doing?" Like, and then they try and like swipe out at him, and then he goes crazy. He well, he's snorting, and you know, it's like <laughs> the cats get scared. So it's like, yeah, we're still trying to introduce them in a better way. But um, yeah. Cool, man. <laughs> cool. All right, let's wrap this show up. Um, I will see you on the other side. Sounds good. Cheers. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Bye. Good to see you. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's what we're going to talk about today, though, is a little bit of, you know, <laughs> constant little fires that need to be put out. <laughs> so Aaron, Adam, Adam, Aaron. Do you I, guys know each other? I don't think so. No, I don't know if we've run across each other before, but I think I've at least seen you in some other webinar or something like that. Definitely yeah. know about Rubens. Cool. Nice to meet you. I've heard about yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully only the terrible things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Aaron, I, I just shared with Adam the video from what's the recent YouTube video you guys were on. Ooh, there was so many. Uh, was it something we looked like we produced or was it? No, it was autumn. Uh, was it autumn brewing? Hold on. I'll pull it up right now. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah definitely. Uh, beer buddies. Armada, Armada brewing. Oh yeah. 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 The beer buddies. Uh, yep. Johnny is one of my good buddies. Uh, you know, when he first moved to Connecticut, he uh, reached out and had some extra Nelson Sauvin. And this was, you know, years ago at this point when it was next to unobtainium. And uh, he sold it to me because he wasn't actively brewing at the time. So that was pretty cool. And then uh, nice. we became fast friends. He's a travel buddy. And yeah, he he does some really nice production work with uh, with his things. And it's neat to see him grow that over over the years. I just don't know how he has enough time to do it, though. <laughs> Well, I was going to comment. The quality was extremely high, and I kept saying, "Is this a production company or is this actually a brewery?" And then I started putting the two together. I'm thinking the same thing. How is this guy doing such high quality production? Yeah, yeah, he definitely puts a lot of focus into it, and I, I love seeing everything he's coming out with. And I think that series is something really cool that he'll be able to promote uh, the Connecticut industry with. Yeah, awesome. It's pretty well done. Yep. Well, let's get started, guys. Uh, today's episode of the True Craft Podcast, we have Aaron Simoncini from Beard Brewing uh, out it. of Connecticut. Now, you need to tell us, because I know you recently have had an expansion, but give us some background on Beard and what you guys have done in the last 18 months. Sure. Yeah. The last 18 months, that's uh, that's an interesting time for most of us because 14 of them were uh, COVID related. Sure. So it's uh, we've been in business about nine years at this point. Um, we have two breweries. We opened our second brewery in 2018, a bit larger than our original one. We've always been a scrappy brewery, kind of just growing organically. We never really go out and just push distribution, push distribution. Uh, when we started way back when it was all taproom focused. Uh, and, and now we have just recently opened up distribution to Seacoast, Maine with just one of our... Can you still hear me? Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, getting connection things. Uh, yeah. So anyway, we just pivoted like everybody else does. We ended up opening our second tap room in Groton uh, and operated for six weeks and then COVID hit. Uh, so we completely shut it down. We built it out so that it was very intimate, a small space, which as we uh, have all learned, that doesn't really work. So we just straight up shut that one down. 
uh, expanded in our Stonington facility and actually were able to set up in a large unused space that's in the building. We're, we're housed within an old velvet mill. Uh, so there's a ton of space, tons of different businesses. It's a really neat community to be a part of. And there was some unused space. So we set up what we dubbed the beard garden and we're able to operate table service throughout COVID, uh, which was really cool. And then we just, uh, on May 19th, Connecticut dropped all of its COVID regulations, uh, except for masks for those who are not vaccinated. And we hosted the governor for a press conference on the opening day of Connecticut, which was really cool. Kind of, kind of neat a neat way to reopen Groton after 14 months of being shut down. Awesome. So for Stonington and Groton, give us uh, some geography of where those, where those locations are. Yeah. So our Stonington facility, which was first uh, is in Southeastern Connecticut. It's basically as far Southeast in the state as you can go before you hit the border of Rhode Island. Uh, 20 minutes on 95 South uh, through Connecticut, you're going to find our Groton based facility. Uh, and, and yeah, that's uh, pretty much South is as far Southeast in Connecticut as you can go as well. So we're in a very tourist, uh, touristy area. It's a big tourist destination, specifically Mystic and Stonington. Uh, so we get a lot of travelers and we're situated right along 95. So it's mm-hmm. pretty easy for people to get here. Well, what drives the tourism there? It's a just a beautiful area. I actually was raised in Stonington, went away to school in Rochester, New York, and you know, typical of anybody who's raised somewhere. Oh, there's nothing going on here. It's so boring. <laughs> you go away, experience something else, and then it's like, wow, I really had it very, very well off. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, we've got some. Uh, we've got two casinos down in southeastern Connecticut, pretty large, Foxwoods uh, and Mohegan Sun. So a lot of tourism is driven there, but we're also situated along the coastline. So beautiful beaches, uh, little boroughs and villages for people to visit shopping. Uh, dining here is incredible. We've been, uh, fortunate to have just an incredible number of organizations or chefs come in and set up and really revitalize the whole dining industry here. And we're glad to see most of them, uh, were able to pivot and make it through the entire last 14, 15 months, uh, as, as we were. Nice. How far apart are your two spaces, like drive-wise? Uh, 20, 20 minutes. So I spend a lot of time on the highway. Uh, I, I hate commuting. And so as you can see, I'm working from home today. Uh, but it, I live about six minutes from our Stonington brewery. And so almost a half hour from our Groton facility. So yeah, it makes it interesting because Stonington, uh, I want to say we brewed about 3000 barrels out of there last year. Uh, maybe a little bit less. And then out of Groton, we did another 4,000 or so. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of transfers, a lot of back and forth and, and it's, you know, two, two teams, which makes it an interesting thing to kind of manage. Groton has the 20 barrel brew house and Stonington has the 10. Correct. Yep. Yeah, uh, actually, I'm sorry. It's a 15 in Stonington. So we, and yeah, and our tank farm is uh, a series of 15s and 30s in Stonington. And then we triple into a series of 60s in our Groton based facility. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like I said, it's been interesting. Um, I mean, just again, referring back to the last 14 months when we went into the pandemic, we were still utilizing Ironheart uh, mobile canning service and they were fantastic. Never missed a day, showed up twice a week, but, uh, very quickly it made sense that we needed to go ahead and buy our own line for a Groton facility. Uh, it was a project I was working on pre COVID had all the financing package ready to go, uh, selected the equipment. And when the pandemic hit, I called our banker and I was like, look, I don't want to close on this. Uh, I'm, I don't know if we're going to be in business, <laughs> uh, two months mm-hmm. from now, three months from now. So let's hold off. We kept working with Ironheart. And then, like I said, two months into it, it became very, very clear that we needed to get our own equipment in-house. And was that process easy to to order the equipment and get it delivered? Believe it or not, because I had done all the legwork pre-pandemic, it was. Uh, we ended up going with a Wild Goose 8. So we have a Wild Goose 2 headline in Stonington. And that's what we've operated pretty much since we started packaging. And then uh, this two-lane 8-head filler is something that you don't see a ton of out there. But 
we're cranking 80 cans a minute off the thing and uh it it just hums it hums it's fantastic and when the pandemic hit because of the loss of draft i mean every twice a week we were packaging 500 600 cases uh you know at a clip depending on mm-hmm. loss and and so yeah, that that'd be a long day on a forehead filler how do you arrange batches between the two spaces so uh, is one all draft or do you still get the odd the odd yeah draft? so Dogs and Boats is by far our top top brand. Um, I mean, we have to package at least 500 cases of that every single Monday. Um, so we do a lot of our core brands in our Groton facility because we've gotten some great placements and even as of recent, but uh, great placements with some local, I guess they're local, regional grocery stores. Uh, so Big Y is one of our big partners and they just buy in all of our core brands every time. Uh, there's a couple of other restaurant group, or uh, not restaurant groups, I'm, I apologize, uh, package store groups uh, that do the same thing. They're just all about the core brands and they fly. And then the one-offs and seasonals and rotationals, we've uh, we've been brewing out of our Stonington facility so that it's kind of a flash in the and a little bit of urgency to get those before they're gone. You mentioned about having two separate teams, like because because we have this issue. We we have multiple uh, brew houses. How, how separate are you, do you run the the spaces, right? And and how many people like you have to do that commute regular on a regular basis? Yeah, so I would say logistics is probably the most interesting portion of it all. Uh, when we first started the second operation, we obviously put in a massive cold box and made the decision that we're going to run all of our distribution out of our Groton facility. Um, we self-distribute in most of Connecticut, except for the two counties that uh, border New York State. So Fairfield and Litchfield County, we have a wholesaler. Uh, we work with Horizon Beverage out of Rhode Island. And then in Massachusetts and Maine, we're with Craft Collective. Uh, we also do a little bit to New York and New Jersey via Serene as well, just because of their location. And so uh, it just made sense to house everything. All finished goods get transferred in Ecos over to, over to um, our facility in Groton. And then everything's palletized and shipped out of there, whether it's going out on our own fleet of vans or it's going out on a pallet to a wholesaler. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely interesting for that because there's daily transfers that go back and forth. Uh, we have a warehouse and logistics manager uh, who basically handles all of that and runs the team of our drivers. Uh, so yeah, he's he's the main one who's going back and forth on a regular basis. But it's uh, it, it is important to plan in advance where you're going to be. Uh, just for my wife and myself, you want to touch base with all of your team members on a regular basis. So we'll pick a day or two each week where we're in each location um, to make sure that we're available. Yeah. Very good. I would say the pandemic has actually highlighted a ton of opportunity for a lot of our customers and a lot of other breweries to go out and find second locations. So while today's topic is about op- operations, I want to keep this conversation going because I think we've we've hit a chord here with running to two facilities. Adam, you run three facilities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And do you want to share a little bit about your your teams and and, and how you manage that? Or is, is it three independent teams? Or yeah, so that's, that's why I was interested to know how far apart your spaces were, Aaron, because. We, we're we're pretty central in the in Seattle, and um, so we don't we could never get a big enough space. So we actually have six different buildings, um, all wow. within about seven eight blocks. So we we have um, single pools of people that would basically be brewing at different spaces over time, or or, or working the tap rooms over different spaces. So we have two tap rooms, but of one uh, one team. Um, so it's a, a different kind of kind of thing and um uh i can i i don't like commuting either <laughs> which is which is why we're up here but uh i can walk just down the street to them so um i i, I bike sometimes if i feel adventurous but that's really <laughs> as far as we get there that's interesting to hear that you rotate your teams uh your production team specifically tap room i feel like is very easy to be interchangeable and so we do have that uh, especially right now as we're struggling to, you know, staff back up. Um, but we mainly 
keep people if they're on production in one facility or, or the other. Uh, occasionally, like our packaging leads, we have a packaging lead for each facility. Uh, if the line goes down and they need help troubleshooting or something like that, they obviously can be transient. But our brewers, for the most part, stay in the same place uh, just for consistency. And th- that was when we pulled them. That was really what everybody kind of echoed is we don't want to have to trade spaces on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. So certainly, um, like the smaller brew house that we have a our original was five barrel, and then we have a twenty and a thirty. And um, the, the original is really one person for in particular, right? And then the he also runs mostly the the medium one. But like we we do kind of um, have some flexibility. But like the lab, we have one lab that covers all of the spaces and stuff. You know, but it. It is, it's hard enough logistically when you can walk between the spaces. So I can't imagine if you have to do a 20 minute drive. <laughs> yeah. And, and when those little fires we were talking about earlier pop up, it's like, okay, time to hit the road. <laughs> yeah. So Aaron, you mentioned logistics as being a challenge of having multiple locations. What, what other challenges are there to multiple locations and, I'm I'm kind of trying to go back in my head and think like your tap room at the Groton location was up and running for a couple months and then COVID hit and here you are staring down a pandemic while you have a fairly new facility going on shortly thereafter you get this major ramp up of all your liquids got to go in cans mm-hmm. talk us through the challenges that two locations can can bring up other than logistics? Certainly. Uh, I mean, just referring to the pandemic and how we were able to handle that, uh, human resources became a massive thing and and making sure that we outlined our policies and procedures to keep everyone as safe as possible. So uh, at that point, we had to make sure there was essentially no cross-contamination. Uh, if you were in one facility, you are not visiting the other one. Um, it, it was difficult because sometimes, like I said, staffing, sometimes you need to make sure. Uh, But it was beneficial as well because, and I mean, we didn't come out of the thing unscathed uh, as far as, as far as, you know, team members who weren't feeling well. So when one facility had to kind of sit home until everyone had their tests, uh, we were able to continue operations in the other facility while that, you know, facility a was being sterilized clean mm-hmm. and uh and kind of vacated so yeah it, it definitely was interesting as far as that goes and then the other one that is always important is communication uh just making sure everyone's on the same page and that's difficult because you know word travels fast it travels quickly and so trying to be physically present at each location to communicate effectively with your team uh <laughs> isn't always possible. So we, we turn to communication via things like Slack or email um, just to make sure that everyone's on the same page at the same time, because, you know, team members might feel slighted if they don't get the same information at exactly the same time. Uh, Yeah. So that, that was another challenge uh, specifically through COVID because we were not doing anything in person. We had a lot of these zoom calls. Talk us through the history of your brewer at the original location or do you call it a director of operations or do you have both titles, both positions? So that's a pretty interesting conversation to have because, you know, we've, we've grown from a three barrel brewery where I was the original brewer. We did actually didn't even have any employees. I maintained a day job uh, back when we opened in 2012 for the first six months until we realized, Oh wow, we're sold out every Sunday and we need to actually be here if we want this thing to grow. Uh, so we proved the concept. Now it's time to go and run the concept. Uh, so I, I started as head brewer, director of operations, whatever you want to call it, founder, owner, um, And once I came on board, it again quickly became apparent that we were selling every drop of beer as fast as we could make it in our tap room. Uh, And so we started dubbing Sundays as sold out Sundays. We'd literally, my wife and myself would stand behind the bar and just greet people and let them know, hey, we we are open. 
I can sample you on this beer, but I can't sell you anything to go. And that was before tap rooms were allowed to really retail anything for on-premise as well. So that made it difficult. Uh, so the next brewer who came in became my assistant, uh, probably two years into it. I finally was at the point where I'm like, I can't be spending my whole day washing kegs or sanitizing tanks. I need to be brewing and growing the business. So we brought on um, Benjamin Raybon and he was the assistant until, uh, you know, we grew a little bit more and all of a sudden there's more work. So he ascended to head brewer in Stonington. Um, that allowed me to focus a little bit more on growing the business, doing events, being out there selling, uh, which was important. Then we decided to grow some more. <laughs> so I, I like shiny things. Uh, it's, it's a blessing and a curse all at the same time. So in 2017, I had the harebrained idea to open brewery number two, uh, you know, instead of just moving everything to one location. So that was the point where we had to make the decision. Do we go director of operations uh, to oversee both facilities or do we bring in another brewer, head brewer to run the second facility. And I just kind of play director of ops. Uh, we had an internal brewer. So let me rewind a little bit. Ben uh, really wanted to fill that director of ops position. Um, but as your organization grows, you have to be very hyper aware of like, sometimes you will outgrow the capabilities of individuals who are in certain seats. And so we had that difficult discussion with him. And it's like, no, we need to make sure that you're focusing on our Stonington facility so that this other one can get up and running. Uh, so we ultimately decided against director of ops and went with the, the second brewer. We brought in someone who had a lot of experience where Ben learned on the job. Um, Justin Sally came aboard from a larger brewery, Stony Creek here in, in Brantford, Connecticut, uh, with a lot of experience. And, you know, it's something that I've tried to do throughout my life in both professional and personal, uh, surround yourself with people who know more than you, uh, who are better at something than you. And so we brought in some real talent at that point. And Justin was able to kind of hit the ground running, build his team and make sure that every drop of liquid coming out of that Groton facility was ready to go. Uh, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of where we've gone with it. And we still maintain two separate head brewers. My wife is more involved than ever at this point as well. So she helps kind of, we, we'd like to refer to me as the, um, or sorry, as her, as the integrator rather than we, we follow Gina Wickman. Um, so she really has taken on that operations director position uh, where I am more of the visionary. I kind of go out and develop and, and grow the business. Uh, so it's been important to, again, communicate with everyone, but to make sure that we empower both of our head brewers to run their facilities without kind of micromanaging them. Adam, I think this season is going to be sponsored by EOS. <laughs> <laughs> we we EOS as, as well. Um, and we're six months in. And we're going through a lot of getting the... I, I saw something that I think you'd written, right, right person, right seat, right? So as, as soon as I saw that, I thought that's like secret code for EOS, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I've read the entire series. We never went out and got an implementer. I think that's what they refer to them as, but uh, it's, I mean, every Monday is our level 10 meeting and we get the entire management team involved and uh, we IDS every single Monday, uh, whether, you know, there's big ones or little ones, uh, quarterly rocks, which, you know, I've only got a couple more days to finish mine, but yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's something that changed the face of our business and the way we run and, and really made it easy for everyone to understand what they're responsible for. Yeah. So the previous guest, Michael Mimzik from Sanitas Brewing is a diehard EOS. And I think we're bringing him back for episode seven to really dive into EOS and we run EOS here. And so you're the, you're, this is, this has more traction in the brewing industry than I ever imagined. So I think it, at least where I was introduced to it, um, forget the gentleman's name, but at CBC, uh, I think in Nashville, there was a whole seminar about 
you know, how do I gain traction and start really growing the business? And it just really struck a chord with myself and my wife. And so we started the book. And now whenever a management team member joins the team, it's like, here's your book, read it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it just, it works. It, it, in theory, a lot of these things, you know, when you go to college and you take your intro to business courses, they talk about, oh, well, you, you need to run a SWOT analysis and you need to do this and you need to do that. And back then, you know, not owning my own business, it's like, do I really need to know this stuff? But it's more important than ever at this point. Right. Annual planning, vision, you know, if, if you don't communicate that as well, then how does everyone know why they're at work every day? Right. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's taken me a while, but now whenever I hear someone talk about a vision, if there isn't quantifiable metrics in it, it just completely goes out in your one ear and went out the other. So that's uh, important to our, and then Tom and I did a, um, an office hours between season one and season two, diving into REOS and, and our, successes and our our involvement with it because we've we've kind of evolved it a little bit as far as what our rocks look like and and the the timing of the rocks um but cool we can talk more about that in another conversation uh, talk to me about sops given two facilities now it it sounds to me like you have a brewer with a ton of pedigree you have a brewer with a ton of street experience do they require formal SOPs? Do you guys have those in place? So when Justin joined us, that was a really large focus for him is just kind of documenting the process on everything and digging in deep to ensure that processes were happening exactly the same in both facilities. You know, no one should have to think about how they CIP a tank. It's just, this is exactly how you do it. So we we went through that process and it worked out really well. Uh, the interesting part, though, was some hesitancy to buy in from some team members uh, because there was that this is the way we've always done it mentality and it works, you know, 80% of the time. <laughs> um, sure. So it, it was very important to kind of hammer that home that, hey, there is a reason that we do these steps in this order of operations for this period of time. or And, and everything from how do we receive orders? Uh, like grain, a pallet of grain comes in. Well, what, it, what are the steps to receive that uh, to, you know, finish product and how we document that or CIP? Uh, like I said, though, there was a lot of hesitancy from certain team members. Um, and I think it was the team members who really just kind of started with us in the industry mm-hmm. versus those who had been elsewhere and kind of seen how it works elsewhere. So uh, at this point, though, we have a lot of people who have industry experience. We've kind of, like I said, brought in people who know more than me <laughs> uh, or, or anyone else and, and just brought in the best people for the job. So everybody's definitely on board with with how we do things now and and understands and is able to communicate to the rest of the team like this is how it's done uh, when we get new team members. So it's it's been an interesting time for us, though. We've had a little bit of musical chairs for a number of reasons, um, COVID, whatnot, people moving, uh, changes in family. And, and so we actually have two head brewers who have been promoted from within, but both come to us with a ton of other industry experience. So it was nice to be able to grow them professionally uh, that way as well. Cool. Yeah, I think. Uh, SOPs are critical to the success of any business. I've seen formal SOPs destroy a business though. And what I mean is the example you were just giving, you bring someone in, you task them, they have tons of experience, very high competency in their, their craft. They put SOPs in and it makes the other people freak out. And they're afraid it's going to expose their shortcomings. They're afraid it's going to change the way that they've done it in the past. They're not even open to suggestions. And then it ends up really putting a riff in the business. So I think it's amazing you're able to put in SOPs or any any business is able to put in SOPs and have buy-in from the team. That that tells me that there's uh, a, wor- a worthwhile culture there that people trust everyone. 
Yeah. Uh, one thing that we always focus on is consistency. Um, you know, if somebody's going to give me $15 for four cans of beer, we need to make sure it's the same beer every single time. <laughs> and, and so that's been the priority. And I think that our team has developed and grown in such a way where everyone is really on the same, we're all just meshing and vibing and, and, you're right. Like I was kind of alluding to, it was tough at first when these new SOPs came in because it might expose some shortcomings or, it, and, and mainly it's around, it surrounds knowledge. Uh, why do we do things this way? Because if it's just been what they've ta been taught, then that's all they know. Uh, so you just have to be open to learning and, and you're not going to be right a hundred percent of the time. So uh, at this point, I think we've, been able to kind of explain and teach people this is why this is important and like i said they've completely bought in at this point yep yeah with, with the sops that was from my prior job i knew it was important so when when because i came i i started as a home brewer so i i um spent a lot of time trying to know learn what i didn't know you know know what mm -hmm. you don't know and um I came up with 13 processes that I needed to um, understand how, how they worked, um, uh, scaling from my homebrew system to the production, the, the commercial system. And so I had somebody build some SOPs So we, on those things that I didn't know how to do. So like we had SOPs kind of from the, from the start. And kind of like you, like you said, like what, what I've realized is that um, people brewing over time becomes more of a reflex than a conscious thought, you know, you, you, and everybody's full processes i mean the brewer is only doing a little part of the full process right so if something is done differently in in their element there's going to be a whack-a-mole impact like upstream or downstream yep. and uh that's really hard if you don't have sops in place it's really hard to communicate that um that the, the importance of the decisions that you're making upstream and downstream you know yeah a clean pass of a baton is always important yeah yeah yeah, knowing the knock-on effects of, of any decisions that you're making, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I won't say that they don't change as we move forward as well, because as our business develops and, and certain things, uh, you know, change over time, you just have to be able to pivot again, use that word, and, and develop a new SOP that takes care of it. But again, communicate that out to the team or else they're just going to do it with it, do it the way they've always done it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Awesome. Well, Aaron, I want to go ahead and wrap this episode up. Can you tell us where we can learn more about Beard Brewing? Yeah, you can check us out on beardbrewing.com, B-E-E-R-D, brewing.com. Uh, our socials at, at Beard Brewing on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and Facebook, you can find us on there. Nice. Well, I appreciate your time today, man. We we've learned a lot and you guys have a ton of good things going for you. I follow you on social and love the branding and, and from what I can tell the quality of the liquids amazing as well. So keep it up. It takes a team. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you guys. Cheers. Nope. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of true craft podcast. Links to cool information about our guests and other fun facts can be found in the show notes. The show is produced by Josh Barnhart and sponsored by Small Batch Standard. Small Batch Standard is the premier financial agency built to serve the craft brewing industry. We help craft breweries grow profits through outsourced accounting, tax compliance, and growth consulting. Visit SB Standard today to learn more and request a discovery call with the team. Peace out.